Well, tonight, being this the Koinonia meal night, and we had some great lasagna tonight. Those of you who couldn't make it, too bad you missed it. I ate your piece. I actually had a second piece. But I shouldn't have. Now I'm like, oh, man, I'm full. But it was so good. Anyway, um, after that, as you know, Wednesday, our Koinonia meal, we have a meal. We do some worship. But then we do something different. And tonight, rather than an interview or special topic, I really felt led to invite Mary Beth Nakashima to share her testimony, all that would happen. So give her a warm, warm welcome as she makes her way up here. Hi there. I'm going to try standing first. Wow, this is different up here. Let's start with a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to come and fellowship and to partake of good food. And I just really pray that uh, tonight is just all about you, Lord. Let the focus be on you. Help me to have clear thinking and get the right words I want to say and to get them out in a way that people can understand. And just may you be glorified tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first of all, I want to start out by taking a look at what the Bible says about trials and how we experience them. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to James. I figure I might, might as well get you in the Bible a couple of times tonight. <clears throat> Obviously, you know that we're going to go to James 1, verse 2, because I said trials. So James 1, verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This verse has always fascinated me because it's so opposite of how you really feel when you're going through a trial. You know, count it all joy? I don't think so. You know, like, count it all bad. Count it all worrying. Count all my problems. You know, I, I don't feel good when I'm going through a, a trial. And I, you know, I want everybody to feel that same way for me, too, that's around me. But this verse says, count it all joy. James tells us to count it all joy because he knows our natural response to trials is not to rejoice. And the word count here means consider or evaluate. Therefore, as believers, we must make a conscious effort, a commitment to face trials with joy. Now, why joy? Where does joy exist? In the Lord, right? Our joy, it's unrelated to the circumstances of our life. It's related to our relationship with our unchanging and sovereign Lord. In Nehemiah 8.10, it tells us, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And listen to this illustration about the weapon of joy. Massena, one of Napoleon's generals, suddenly appeared with 18,000 men before an Austrian town which had no means of defense. The town council had nearly decided to surrender when the old dean of the church reminded them it was Easter and begged them to hold services as usual and to leave the trouble in God's hands. This they did, and the French, hearing the church bells ringing joyfully, concluded that an Austrian army had come to relieve the place and quickly broke camp. Before the bells ceased ringing, all the Frenchmen had vanished. The incident has often been duplicated in individual lives, they have rung the joy bells in the face of pain and sickness and poverty and fear and loneliness, trials. And the joy bells have conquered. Speedily, the, flo the foe has slunk away. 
Speedily, the bell ringers have found themselves in possession of the field, for no enemy is quite so strong as faith accompanied with good cheer. So use the weapon of joy. And notice here in James, he says, when you fall into trials, not if you fall into trials. You are going to fall into trials. But know that, verse 3, that the testing of your faith produces patience. So we count it all joy because our trials produce patience. This word for patience in the Greek doesn't mean a passive waiting, like you're quietly waiting in the doctor's office, you know, waiting for your name to be called. No, it's an active endurance. It's like the quality that helps you finish a marathon. It has the picture of someone under a heavy load and resolutely staying there instead of trying to escape. A Greek commentary said that this word patience describes the frame of mind which endures. Isn't that good? Now, patience is not inevitable. Um, It's not inevitably produced in times of trial. If difficulties are received in unbelief and grumbling, then trials can produce bitterness and discouragement. This is why James exhorts us to count it all joy. Counting it all joy is faith's response to a time of trial. So let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, lacking nothing in this trial. Now I want to share my story and how the Lord used my circumstances for his glory. This is really uncomfortable up here. I feel like I'm on top of it. Down. Back up a little bit. So one Friday morning, In August, I woke up, and I had extreme pain going on, and I knew immediately that I had a kidney stone. If you've ever had a kidney stone, you recognize that pain. It's it's very obvious what's happening. And I had had a kidney stone one time after the birth of my first daughter. So I'm like, okay, what do you, you know, you go in, and what do they tell you? Oh, just wait till it passes, and they send you back home. So I'm like, I'm just going to gut through this, and I'm going to wait until it passes. And then by the time Stephen came home from work, I'm like, take me to the doctor now. I couldn't take that pain anymore. So we go down to the clinic, and they do an x-ray. And they're like, yeah, you've got a stone. It's a pretty big stone, but it's on its way down. So, you know, go home and wait till it passes. And they said, if you have fever or vomiting, come back immediately. So they send us home. The next morning, I wake up, and my body is just trembling like this, like if you're freezing cold. But it's August in Hawaii, so I wasn't freezing cold. And I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't stop it. So I'm just laying there in bed, and finally it passes. I'm like, well, I'm I'm not vomiting. It's not fever, so I don't know. I don't know what that was. And then about four hours later, it did it again. And again, can't control it. It finally passes. Then when Stephen came home from diving and heard what I was going through, he was like, we're going to the doctor. So we went down to the ER because it's Saturday, and they do a CAT scan, and they're like, oh, yeah, you have a stone. It doesn't look like it's moved. It's kind of stuck. And then I did my whole trembling trembling chills thing for them. They're like, well, that's different. Uh, I think we'll admit you overnight. So they take me up to the third floor, and I'm being admitted, and that's the last thing I remember. I don't remember anything else after that. And Stephen said he's waiting in the hall, and the next thing he knows, they come racing out to him, sign this permission slip. If I wait to tell you what's happening, we're going to lose her, and they rushed me off to the surgery. So I woke up, 
in the hospital two weeks after that. I'd been in a coma for two weeks, and I had no idea what happened to me. I was laying in bed, and my arms were like kind of stuck like this. I couldn't move anything. I was an IV for um, food because I couldn't do a single thing, and I didn't really know what was going on. I wasn't quite online yet with my mind and what was happening. I do remember that they were talking to me like I was a child, which I was supposed to like, hello, Mrs. Nakashima. You know, I just remember thinking, well, that's weird, but I didn't really know what was going on. And I think like maybe the next day or maybe two days when I'm getting more with it and thinking with my mind, and of course, I'm complaining to my husband about this is so uncomfortable and I can't do anything, what's happening? And he just looks at me and he goes, do you know why you're here? And the way he said that, it just like took me aback and I just stopped and I'm like, you know, I don't. I, I don't know why I'm here. And so he starts to tell me this story. He said that I went into septic shock because of the kidney stone and sent me into sepsis. And they were trying to save my life. I was having many shocks going on. I mean, many strokes going on in my mind. And um, once you get into sepsis, the body is just trying to save you. So circulation stops. It's just going to the heart and the brain, the heart and the brain. You know, like, let's keep this woman alive. Don't, we don't care about anything else. So I got gangrene on my legs from my feet all the way up to under my knees and I got it from tips of my fingers all the way up to my elbows and you know just the body doesn't care about anything except the two main things and they did everything they could and they finally got to a point where they only had one thing left they could try and it was a really radical strong drug that that in itself is dangerous and so they told Stephen well you might you might want to get your kids down here to say goodbye and I'm listening to this story like and then what happened? I mean, it's like, who are you talking about? You're not talking about me. I don't have any knowledge of any of this. I just couldn't believe what he was saying. And so my poor kids had to come in if they wanted to. I mean, there were some young that didn't want to go in, and they had to say their goodbyes to me. And as a homeschooling mom, I got to see their point of view because they, that would come out in English papers later on in their lives. So that was really interesting to see what they went through when that was all happening. But needless to say, I realized that I was very lucky to be alive and so like stop the complaining and let's get down to work so they had been coming in to do um, physical therapy with me when I was in the coma to try to keep my muscles strong so I'm like now a participant of this so I can help them they're moving my legs around and they strapped me to this circle that was on a wheel and Stephen would drag me up and down the hallways and I would just try to stay standing as long as I could to strengthen my legs and people would come in and they would move my arms around and do this to my fingers, like just try to get that flexibility back in all my joints so that I could start feeding myself. And I remember when they asked me, do you want to eat? And I'm like, yeah, I want to eat. Can you swallow? Yeah, I can swallow. So I take the first bite. I'm not going to be able to swallow this. <laughs> I'm just like chewing, chewing. What do I do? I can't swallow this. I know I can't swallow this. So I was on the IV for a long time too, but just really trying to focus on getting back to normal. So after two weeks of awakening after the coma, they came into my hospital room one morning and said, you know what, we're going to take you to some exploratory surgery. We're going to take a look and see at your feet and your legs and how that looks. Like you might lose some partial toes. You might lose a whole toe, but don't worry, you can still walk. That's not going to keep you from walking. Let's just go and see what we're looking at. I'm like, okay, we'll go into surgery. So the next thing I know, I wake up in the recovery room in extreme pain 
And I'm laying there and I just kind of prop myself up on my elbows, like where is that pain coming from? And I look down at the bed and I'm like, are my legs gone? There was a nurse in the room with me and she just kept her back to me the whole time. And I'm like, am I, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? I just need confirmation that I'm seeing what I think I'm seeing. And I said it again, are my legs gone? And she wouldn't answer me. And finally, the third time, I said, are my legs gone? And she just kept her back to me. And she goes, yes, your legs are gone. Like, oh, okay. You know, drugged out, laid back down. And then I remember they took me back to my room. And Stephen was in the room. I think Kristen was waiting for me. And I'm like, my legs are gone. Like, did you know that? Oh, my gosh, my legs are gone. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, talk about something coming out of left field, right? You're just like, whoa. What is life going to look like for me now? Seven kids at home, homeschooling mom. You know, I I just thought, this is really different, Lord. I can't imagine what you're going to do. I just really remembering what would this new life look like and how was God going to use me in it? I remember um, the next morning being alone in the room and I just like looked over at the bedside table that they have on wheels in the hospital and someone had just pushed it just out of reach And it wasn't that, like, all you'd have to do is just put your foot down and go like that and bring it back. And I was just thinking, that table might as well be on the other side of the room. I cannot reach that. And that's what my life is going to look like from now on. This is crazy. And I just, I couldn't think how God would be using me. So I got it back into the um, physical therapy. Didn't have to worry about the legs anymore. This time we're, like, strengthening my arms. They brought a wheelchair in. Got me used to using a wheelchair, taught me how to transfer from a wheelchair to the bed, bed to the wheelchair, wheelchair to the bathroom, you know, all of that stuff. And I just worked um, as hard as I could to get home. So when I left the hospital, I think it was like after two and a half months, I was on dialysis because my kidneys hadn't recovered from everything that had happened. They were stage four kidney disease. And I was in a wheelchair, and they told me, your kidneys, they're not going to last more than five years. So, you know, be ready for that. Be prepared for that. And I just remember um, going home and just like, I just got to lean on the Lord. We got to get through this. And now it's 17 and a half years since then. And my kidneys are still going on their own. Praise God. That's totally him. I don't know how that happens. And I have prosthetics, so I'm not stuck in my wheelchair. And I'm still learning to lean on the Lord. <laughs> so we, um, when I was in the hospital, we heard from people all over the world, literally all over the world, because Our church um, back on the mainland had sent out a lot of missionaries to different places that knew me. And so the word got out, and I got cards and letters in the hospital, and people came from the mainland to visit me, and they would bring well wishes from other people, and literally from England and um, Romania and Africa. And I just remember that made such an impression on my heart because I just remember thinking, wow, Lord, you know, you really love me. You, You put me on the hearts of these people all over the world. These people all over the world have been praying for me, and that really made an impression on me. And then on the other side that really made an impression on me is that other Christians, people from the church, were so mad at God for me and just like, how could could God do that to you? You have all these kids, and oh, my gosh, you you serve at the church. That's just not right, and just like being so upset and mad, and I just remember being really shocked by that and like, no, 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 don't, don't think about that and wanting to, you know, defend God and stand up for him. And I realized at one point, like, wow, how come I'm not reacting like that? You know, 
what, what had God d- done that had prepared me for such a time as this? You know, when something just comes out of left field and changes your life forever. And that's why I want to share about. I want to share about how I feel God got me to that place. And one of the biggest things is, there'd be like a Roman numeral one from that line, know the Lord, know the Lord. You think about it, you don't really trust people that you don't know well, right? I mean, you can hang out with people all the time, see them at work, going to lunch with them and doing things with them. And it's just at a superficial level, right? It's not something that when some deep thing comes in, you're not going to trust them with that. You know, this is a superficial, just a fun relationship. You don't really know them that way. So you're not trusting them with those special things in your life. And, you know, it can be like that for us with the Lord, too. I mean, we can just get into that rut of, like, I go to church on Sundays. I love the worship. I I love the message. It's great. Sundays is great. Sundays is my God slice. And we don't realize that there's this whole other part of our life that God wants that part, too. There's so much more that he wants of you, something deeper, but you have to trust him so that you can open up those areas of you to him. Well, we can do that by reading his word. We can learn about him and learn to trust him by spending time with him. And I remember that my understanding of the Lord really grew when I did a Read the Bible in a Year program. And in that schedule, you read through the Old Testament in a year, and then you went through the New Testament twice in that year. And it was pretty tough sometimes, but reading the Bible through like that from beginning to end really gave me an understanding of the Lord and helped me see the big picture. Now, I found this description in a devotional that I was reading at the time that explains what I mean by the big picture. The Bible is one big, very long, and true story. There's a beginning with character development from the get-go, and the conflict comes just three chapters in. There's a climax with resolution and a beautiful conclusion that spurs us into action. There's an antagonist and a protagonist. It's full of all the good literacy elements. We got foreshadowing, irony, poetry, and parables. But so often, we take it in pieces, just a book here, or a chapter, or I'll just read one verse at a time. And sometimes that means that we miss that whole picture. And without the big picture, all the little pieces cannot be fully understood. When we talk about the Bible, the character development cannot be overlooked. The promises he gives his people in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Testament perfectly again and again. And because of this, we learn about what, God, what kind of God he is, and we see his faithful, loving character, and we learn to trust him so that when he makes new promises in the New Testament, we know that we know that his word is good. Through my reading, I learned how God works, how much he loves me, how his plan for my life is that everything happens to me, he's going to use it for his good, whatever it is. When I understood who God was, how big and awesomely powerful he is, that nothing happens without a reason, nothing happens that he doesn't ordain, how I was created in his image put here to glorify him, and how he loves me and just wants to turn me into the best possible me for his glory, I came to trust him in the deepest way that I ever had before. We don't trust people that we don't know, and the same is true with God. 
You might praise him and come to him with your prayer requests, but if you don't know him and how he works and what his goals are, you don't really trust him. You hope things will work out. You know he has the power to do anything, but you're not really sure if he's going to answer your prayers. So you have to know him well to trust him. Get to know him by reading his word. It's a love letter to us. You need to get in the word yourself. Don't just coast by on what you hear at church, even though the teaching is magnificent. <laughs> get into a reading program. Read through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And don't worry if you don't get it done in a year. That's the good thing about the program is if it's been a couple of days or a couple of weeks and you just look, oh, here I am. I'm just going to pick up right where I left off. You just need to be consistent and read it through. So some of the things that I came to understand about God through reading his word are his attributes. I love talking about God's character. God is eternal. That means that he had no beginning and his existence will never end. He's unchanging, and this means that he is absolutely reliable and trustworthy. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful and can do anything that pleases him. God is omnipresent. That means that he's everywhere all at once at the same time. God is omniscient, meaning he knows the past, present, and future, including what we are thinking right this very minute. God is sovereign, meaning he is in control. And God is truth. He cannot lie. God is gracious, and his grace includes his goodness, kindness, mercy, and love. Since God is an infinite being, no human can fully understand him. But through God's word, we can understand much about who he is and what he's like. And I want to share some of the verses that really helped me at that time and still remain some of my favorites to this day. This is going to be a lot, but I just... Let's read the Bible. Romans 8.28. If you have a life first, that's mine. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And Joel 2.25, so I will restore to you the years that this swarming locust has eaten. That might not be on too many of your <laughs> favorite verses, but this verse brought on a whole new meaning to me when I was at the two-year anniversary of coming out of the hospital. And always in August, I would just like ruminate on that and meditate what the Lord has done. And at the two-year anniversary, I realized that the Lord had restored to my life everything that I had been doing before this all happened to me. I was driving again. I was working at the library. I was homeschooling. I was doing my ministries. Everything that I had been doing since this before it happened, I was now doing again. The Lord had restored it. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Psalm 145, 17 through 19. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. 
And Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And this word burden means portion, that assigned by the Lord. So this verse is saying, cast that burden, that that was assigned to you by the Lord, back on the Lord. And he will not, he will make sure that you are not moved. Okay, I'm going to sit down now. So, knowing him better led to fully trusting him and allowing him to do what he wanted in my life. Secondly, one of the biggest things I've learned is it's not all about me. Shocker, right? It seems so simple, but we are selfish beings, and it's not all about me. Have you ever heard that song? It's all about you, Jesus, and all this is for you. For the glory of your fame, it's not about me, as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender Too low. to your ways. I really love that song. It's such an old song. But that chorus is, just says it all to me. And there's so many times that the Lord showed me that the trial that I was in, that I thought was all about me, didn't have anything to do with me at all, but it was for someone who was watching on the sidelines. So even as we come to know him better so we can trust him, we need to understand his sovereignty. He's in control. It's as if God tells us, you might feel put upon right now. You might feel like you're in a tough spot, but that's because I want to make myself known to the people watching you. Sometimes the Lord touches people who don't know him by putting us in uncomfortable, difficult, heartbreaking, challenging situations. It's all about you, Jesus. That's how the song went. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. And it's not until we finally understand that we exist for God rather than him for us that our lives make sense. If things don't clear up for you, God would say, I love you, but it's not all about you. I have a bigger plan. People are watching, and when they see you continue to praise me, worship me, thank me, I will be glorified. What a privilege to be used in that way, right? In Genesis 50, 20, Joseph is talking to his brothers after being reunited with them, and he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. He's reaching out to save people by what he's doing in my life. That's an awesome thought. So realize that it's all about Jesus. Whatever happens, he is the center of everything. And although it might not seem fair, it will eventually One day, when you're ushered into eternity, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I was able to use you because every time I boxed you in, every time things got rough, you were steadfast. You didn't fall away. You didn't turn back. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I can't wait. It's a simple concept. But sometimes it can take decades to understand that the song doesn't go, it's all about me. I think we all think that the song goes like that. 
but we exist for the one who is. And the degree to which we allow him to do what he wants in our lives and through our lives is the degree to which we will be rewarded here and eternally. And I can remember various times when the Lord showed me what I thought was this big, bad trial, like, oh, poor me, I can't believe I'm going through this. And it was really for someone else's benefit. It's like he pulled the curtain aside and was like, Mary Beth, look back here. This, this is the plan. This is what I'm doing. It's not about you. Just continue on. And I just feel like so gracious of him to do that. And he did that a couple of times that I want to share with you. And I remember after I had my fourth daughter, Hannah, we outgrew our house. And so we were looking for a place to move to. And we couldn't find anything on the market that we could afford. And we were already renting back from the guy that had bought our house. And the holidays were coming up. And he's like, I'd really like to spend Thanksgiving in my new home. So our realtor said, you know what, Let's just, we'll just find a place for you guys to rent. And we'll just pick this up after the holidays. But we still couldn't find anything because of expenses and big family. And so I remember the week before the Saturday that we would have to move out of our house, sharing with my women's Bible study group that met at our church, hey, you know, keep us in prayer because we're moving Saturday and um, we need to find a house. And everyone's like, what? How are you moving on Saturday if you don't have a house? I'm like, well, we, we'd have to move out, but I know the Lord's going to provide a house, so just keep that in prayer. And then at the midweek service, like, well, do you have a house? No, no, we don't have it yet, so keep praying. And then, of course, Thursday, before that Saturday, we found the house and we signed the papers and we moved in on Saturday. And then the next week at that Bible study, a lady in my group, um, pulled me aside and she goes, I just cannot believe what you've been going through. I've been watching you. You're like, you just had your fourth child. You started homeschooling. You're in the worship. You do this Bible study. And then you're moving on top of that. And like, she's just going on and on. And she's like, you know what? It made me realize the Lord, I really feel like the Lord's been showing me that I need to get involved in a ministry here in the church. And I kept saying, I just had a baby, Lord. You can't expect me to do that. I've got too much on my plate. And she's like, I don't have anything on my plate compared to you. And she's just going on in that. And I had such a knowing in my heart. I went right home and I told Stephen, I think the reason why we couldn't find a house was because of this lady. The, the Lord was like, hello, lady, you know, trying to get her attention. And he was using us as an illustration. And that, that's the type of thing that has happened that the Lord has revealed to me. It's not about you. Just keep going. Just keep going. I remembered a month after that I got out of the hospital here and we were having to go back to the hospital each month to meet the prosthetist guy from Oahu. They only come once a month here. And so I'm in a wheelchair and we're out where the valet parking is at the hospital and it's a mess. It's at lunchtime. There's so many people milling around and we're just waiting and this man walks up to us and he just points at me and he goes, you just lost your legs here at this hospital, didn't you? Which I thought was kind of a strange thing, but I'm like, yeah, that's true. And then he's just like, oh, my gosh, I've been praying for you. My church heard about you, and we've been praying in our men's study every week. And he was so excited. He goes, can I pray for you right now? And he knelt right there in front of everybody and just started praying for me. I'm getting chicken skin just thinking about it. It was like a psalm the way he was praying. And, and I realized again that, wow, the Lord put this put me on this man's heart, and he was getting to see the fruition he was getting to see the answer to his prayer the lord had him doing this and and he got to see in the flesh what he'd been praying for and that was so exciting to be a part of that and when we went back to the mainland after i got my prosthetics 
went to see the family. Yep, I'm still alive. Here I am. And a lady in our church there came up to me and she goes, you don't know me, but your mom has been telling me everything that you've been going through and just what you've been doing and how you've been reacting and the things that you've been saying. And I just want you to know I have cancer and I was just ready to give up. But after hearing you, that inspired me that I need to trust in the Lord. I need to just do what he says and I'm going to trust whatever he has for my life. That's what I want too. And I was blown away. In fact, a lot of people have come up to me to tell me that I've inspired them and they're going through such and such. And I'm always blown away because I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like 10 times worse than what I had to go through. I can't believe that they're looking at me. So we all have these different levels. But, but one thing about these examples, if you notice, is that these people were drawn to glorify the Lord or to start doing something for them, to start obeying and serving him. It wasn't about me. And that really taught me to see problems and trials as a way where he is trying to reach someone. And it even changed my prayer life because seeing that he's working so hard in the, you know, behind the scenes to reach so many more people than we would ever think, it, it just changed my prayer life to not like, oh, this person's ill. Oh, Lord, just save them. A miracle. Just make them right. Make them new like that. Like, oh, these people, they don't have money. They're going to get, oh, Lord, just give them their money. I mean, of course... I want the happy ending, and I pray that, you know, the Lord's going to take care of them, but I realize i got to pray the Lord's will here because I know in these instances he's trying to reach so many more people than just this one prayer request that we hear about. It's like a tunnel vision, oh, prayer request, but the Lord is working out here in all these other people. So that really changed how I pray too. Thirdly, I realized that since I trusted God with what happens in my life, and it's not all about me, and I couldn't get freaked out by trials happening in my life, right? I had to walk that talk that I'm saying. Um, in the John Corson commentary, it mentions two reasons why trials happen. Why don't you get your, turn to your Bibles. Let's get you in the Bible again. Turn to Mark 6. Mark 6, verse 45. It says here, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountains to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass them by. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were completely astounded. So the same Lord who stills the storm allowed the storm in the first place. Now, why does God allow storms in our life? Well, scripturally, storms appear for two reasons. First, there are storms of correction. And we know from Jonah about that one, right? If we're out of the Lord's will, he will use a storm to get us back to where we need to be. Storms of correction discipline us. Secondly, there are storms of perfection that develop us. And in this passage we just read, the disciples were obeying Jesus' command to go to the other side. So that's not a storm to correct them, but to perfect them. And in this storm, it's like Jesus is saying, I want to test you now. I've been with you. I've been teaching you. I want you to exercise your faith to go through this storm. 
he knows that storms will inevitably come into each of our lives without exception. And if we weren't seasoned veterans of the storm, we would be blown away. Remember in James 1 verse 2, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Faith is tested through trials, not produced by trials. Trials reveal what faith we do have. Not because God doesn't know how much our faith is, but he wants us to know how much faith we have, and he wants it to be seen by those around us. And just an aside here, if trials don't produce faith, well, what does? Ephesians 2.8 tells us faith is a gift from God. And Romans 10.17 tells us faith comes by hearing the word of God. So faith is given to us by God and then built in us by hearing and understanding and trusting in God's word. And then our faith is seen by others through our actions. So we know that God doesn't promise to keep us from problems, but to be with us in them. Since he sees what's coming, like he's looking down, oh, in two years, boy, I see something coming. I'm going to take you through a little mini trial right now. (laughs) It's like he says, I see what's coming ahead, and I'm going to work with you right now to get you ready. That's a nice way to look at it, isn't it? (laughs) Our faith is exercised through struggle. If you ask people what faith is, most will answer, well, faith is believing even though you don't have evidence. Well, in addition to believing in spite of evidence, faith is obeying in spite of the outcome. Faith says, I will do what the Lord says, even though it means a storm is headed my way, even though it means there will be difficulties, obstacles, and challenges, even though I must struggle, I will obey. I know that he's going to be with me in this storm. So I combine that knowledge that a storm's for my benefit, whether it's to discipline me or develop me, with the knowledge that it's not all about me. So how can I not let the Lord do what he wants? When all is said and done, I just want to be used by the Lord in any way that he sees fit. I try to have big picture thinking when navigating a trial. Try to see God's hand in every situation. It's like this analogy that I came across, and uh, when I came, came up with this analogy, my youngest was four. He's now 20, so let's just think of him as four. <laughs> I came home, and I see Matthew, my youngest, and he's just about to take a bite out of a Snickers bar, and I lunge and grab that bar from him and throw it in the trash. I'm like, Matthew, haven't you heard that all the Snickers bars have been laced with arsenic? One bite will kill you. Now, at this point, Matthew has a choice. He can say either, Mom, you're so mean. That's my favorite candy bar. I want that candy bar. Or he could say, Mom, thank you for rescuing me. You knew something that I didn't know. You saved my life. See? See? See the correlation? (laughs) We have a choice to make when we go through a trial. We can whine and complain and just feel bad for ourselves, Or we can choose to endure seeing God's hand in everything and everything in God's hand. We can acknowledge how much we trust God, that it's not all about us, that God loves us enough to take us through struggles that hopefully draw us closer to him. A commentator wrote, look at God's hand and what do you see? A nail print. And as I see the nail-scarred hand, I have no choice but to say, if you love me enough to be nailed to the cross for me, 
I will trust you, even though I don't understand what's happening right now. So I remember thinking when I was in the hospital, your will be done, Lord. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And I determined to have that enduring patience. So I hope I've demonstrated a different way to weather the storm or to go through trials. They are inevitable, but they can be endured for God's glory. And I want to close with some quotes from two godly Calvary Chapel pastors. First of all, Pastor John Corson from Oregon. He says it's all how we look at it. In the book of Job, we see Satan trying to wipe Job out by affliction. He's afflicting him physically, causing him to lose his family, and ruining him financially. But God was showing how faithful he would be. So here, in the midst of what Satan meant for evil, God used it for good as he sustained Job all the way through and rewarded him in the end. When a trial comes your way, Satan will be there the same day to try to get you to curse God and die. But God will be there as well, waiting to show you his strength in seeing you through. And Pastor Chuck Smith, founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, said in the book, A Memoir of Grace, Although we are writing our story every day, we do not determine what happens in each episode. All we are given is the freedom to decide how we will respond to what happens. God controls the plot. We have to learn to see how our story is attached to a larger story, the story of God's work in human history, starting from the time of Adam to the closing scene of this present age. We cannot read our own life's plot from one event or one episode. What doesn't make sense today is explained tomorrow. What we painfully learn this year is an education we will appreciate next year. And everything is preparation for something else. I like that. That's so good. Okay, so that's what I came up with 17 and a half years, like 15 years. 15 years ago, I came up with this testimony. And going through it again now was really interesting. I'm like, wow, that woman. <laughs> I don't even know that woman anymore. But you know what? The things that God taught me at this time are so embedded in the way that I think that even to this day, I'm almost, I don't want to say excited, but when something bad is happening, I'm looking for what God's going to do in it because I know he's going to do something. And you know, things don't always go the way we want them to. And some things are, are horribly, horribly not going the way that we want them to. But if we trust God in it, he has a purpose. And he has a purpose for so many more people than just the people involved in the trial. And I just want to encourage you to think of it that way, to trust him, to trust his love for you that sent his only son to the cross for you. Trust that the next time you're really in it. And just be looking for what he's going to do because it's going to be so much more than you could ever think or believe. So let's pray. <sighs> Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for helping me through this. And I thank you for giving me um, this knowledge in the first place. And I pray for everybody here, Lord, to really know you, to really love you, to really trust you with their lives, with everything in their lives. And especially if things aren't going the way that they want them to be, or if they're right in the middle of a trial right now, Lord, I pray that you 
just have your loving presence with them, that you help them to know that you're right there with them, never leaving or forsaking them, that you will see them through the valley of the shadow of death. You're not leaving them there. And when things are really bad, that's not the end of the story. You are still working. And I just thank you, Lord, for this knowledge. I thank you for this time to be able to share this with everybody here. And I thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to um, let's give Mary Beth a hand again. Amazing, glory to God! Yeah, what, what He has done with Mary Beth and what He showed Mary Beth through this whole time, and kind of like that at the end. It's, my thought was, it's automatic now, you know, to trust in God. It's automatic to think, all right, God, you're doing something. God, it's for your glory. Something's happening. It's going to turn out in that way, and and. Uh, it made me think about Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And that's that resurrection power, you know, that Paul talks about in Philippians 3. And, you know, God is at work within us. And that's our hope. And I hope through her testimony, everything that she shared, that you, you'll find that that maybe you are going through something. Maybe you're connected online or you're listening to this later and, and you, you, it's really speaking to you what Mary Beth has shared. The word is really speaking to you that, wow, I, I can trust God. Here's an example. Here's a testimony here. And I think that's important for us to really come to a place in our Christian walk, in our maturity, in our spiritual maturity where we begin to not like go go crazy like ah, you know when things happen but go okay yeah it's hard or yeah it's hurtful yeah we're discouraged or things going on but bottom line you have a foundation of knowing that god is at work somehow some way here and he'll do far more abundantly than we can ask or think than we will ever realize and i, I think mary beth was sharing that so I encourage you guys, you know, to keep that in your hearts and minds. And whatever you're going through or whatever you're coming into or even coming out of, understand that, wow, Lord, I can testify to your work even in what I've been going through too. So uh, let's open our eyes to that. You know, the, whole, the Spirit is doing that right now. Well, <clears throat> before we uh, sing our last song, I just want to spend a little time in prayer as we've been doing on Wednesday night, so uh, just some open prayer. Um, so I'll start out, but if, if you want to pray anything, just go ahead and pray, pray loud. But uh, let's go before the Lord. God, I thank you so much for Mary Beth sharing and her heart and everything that she went through with you, God, and what she experienced. And it's encouraging to me, Lord, and just listening to her and the verses and uh, just what she learned and is passing on to us, God. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for your miracles. I thank you for your power. I thank you that we have hope in you, Lord. 
And I pray that tonight you would instill in us that same hope, God, that same knowledge and know-how and just faith, God, to trust that you are at work. To see Mary Beth up here, Lord, that's a testimony. To, to see her doing things that she used to do before she lost her legs, God, that's a testimony of your power. And so, God, I, I want to pray for anyone also. I want to pray for anyone, God, that is going through things. Lord, that you would encourage them, God, that they would find hope in you and that they would lock their eyes upon you in the middle of the storm, God. And the miracle can happen, Lord, where we can walk on water too. So help us tonight, Lord. And I pray for anyone who's been just struggling, hurting, Lord, and especially maybe going through a lot of physical ailments, Lord. And that's hard, God. When you, when things like that happen, God, it, beyond your control, it's super hard. Lord, I pray for healing, God. I pray for your will in that. I pray for guidance and direction, God. I pray that you would continue, God, to move and be there for each person, Lord, who may be struggling physically right now. So, I uh, lift them up to you. Thank you, Jesus.